Anyway, I'm going to stick to Jesus. Um, we're not here for stand-up comedy. I'm no good at that. But I do love Jesus a lot. So we're here. We're talking about the book of Nehemiah. And if you guys remember, we are in Old Testament. So we're back. We're before Jesus' time, right? We're about 400 to 500 years before Jesus. Uh, and God's people, or Israel, they've kind of had their home taken away from them, right? Babylon has come in, and now Israel is in this period of exile. Um, and last week, we learned that Nehemiah just found out how bad it is for the Jewish remnant that came from Jerusalem. And now he's going to try to do something. His goal is to get over there and build a big wall, restore the city, repopulate it, make sure everything back to where it used to be. And this is actually something that is kind of timely with where we're at right now. We can think of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem that was just destroyed as kind of like a like a ancient Ukraine, right? The people there, they have no home, their city's been destroyed, they're in great hardship, and Nehemiah's got this burning desire to get over there and fix things to get them back to the way that they were. But even though Nehemiah feels this big urge to get over there and help, he still makes sure to check that his desires are in the place where God wants them to be. In other words, he is making sure that his desires are in line with God's will by prayer, before he acts. And so here's what we learned from Nehemiah's posture in this story this evening. A firm foundation will guide your steps. When we are following God, right, our decisions and habits are going to be informed and conformed to just by God's word. And we're going to see that from Nehemiah here. So let's get into our passage. We're starting off in verse 1, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1, usually is how you say it. But Anyway, verse 1, in the month of Nisan, not the car, in the month of Nisan, in the 12th, 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when my city, where my ancestors are buried, lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. So we learned it last week in chapter one that Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, which meant that every time the king got something to drink, Nehemiah would be the guy to go and drink it to make sure there's not any poison in that drink. This wasn't exactly the best job ever, right? Nehemiah is not super high up on the social ladder if he's got a job where the king is just willing to have him die on the spot. Like he's, he's not an incredibly important figure where he's working right now. In fact, think of him as like an ancient equivalent to a water boy in this scenario. And if you're the ancient water boy, one of the rules is you are not allowed to be sad in front of the king. You're supposed to be happy. You're supposed to be enjoying your job. And so when Nehemiah gets there and the king notices he's sad, Nehemiah is terrified because the king has all the authority in the world to fire him or kill him on the spot. So it's no surprise that Nehemiah is terrified that the king noticed him sad like this. So when the king comments on it, Nehemiah immediately reacts with, may the king live forever, right? That's what you're supposed to say when you're in the presence of the king. That's just what you got to do. And then he does something that is kind of different, right? He's sad and he knows that there could be repercussions for sadness, but he's still open and honest in front of the king, real about what he's going through. This took some huge boldness from Nehemiah because now he's not only being sad in front of the king, he's also kind of complaining to the king. So again, the king has every right to frown upon him, kill him, fire him, do whatever he wants to do in this situation. 
So why does Nehemiah do this? And how does he even have the confidence to do something like this? Well, here's why. Nehemiah just prayed about this interaction back in chapter one. He prayed to God, please let me have uh, your favor when I'm going in the presence of the king. And so right now, he's putting his complete trust that God is going to work and soften the king's heart. This is the first example we see of Nehemiah relying on God through prayer. There's no doubt that God is in Nehemiah's favor here, but there's another variable here that's affecting Nehemiah's ability to ask things from the king. Well, he's built up a rapport or a reputation by the, with the king by serving him well and being a good worker, just a good servant. He's been able to work hard to even get to this place of conversation with the king. He knows that one of the ways we honor God is by working hard and being a good worker. Right, in order to serve God, Nehemiah knows that he's got to be a faithful servant where God has him right now. So he's built up this reputation of honesty and trust and reliability with this king so that he can serve God through it. That trust and reliability that he's built up is now paying off right, with this opportunity to request something from the king, and God uses it as a way to establish his kingdom through Nehemiah. All of us are in pretty similar situations to Nehemiah. All of us have a job to do, whether it's go to school, whether it's be a good son or daughter, whether it's actually work a job. We will, we're going to be working the rest of our lives. We're also going to have some kind of authority over us at all times. Right now, your bosses are probably your parents, your teachers, or anyone else that is an authority figure over you. Even if there's nobody telling you what to do, or even if there doesn't seem like there's anybody in authority, though, we don't work hard just to win people's favor. We do it because we want to honor God, right? We learn here from Nehemiah that it's actually a very godly thing to work hard at what you do and strive to be better at what you do, whether it's in our schools, on a job, or in your relationships with one another. And like I said, we don't do this just to win favor with people. We do it because it's a way to honor what God has done for us. And Paul talks a little, a little bit about this uh, in the book of Colossians. In chapter 3, uh, he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. So no matter whether or not we're recognized for it, we can serve God by fully serving the people around us here. And as we continue in this passage, we're going to see that God grants Nehemiah favor with the king as a result of Nehemiah's faithful service and trust in God. So those two things are working together, Right? Let's continue on with verse 4 here. The king said to me, What is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let, me, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my ancestor buried, so that I can rebuild it. So, good news here, right? The king did not kill Nehemiah. That's good. That's a big thumbs up for Nehemiah, right? He's, in it. He's on the right track. This is like God's way of giving him a thumbs up, I guess. And yeah, God softened this king's heart. He let them have presence with Nehemiah. He lets him conversate. And the king even asks, you know, what is it that you want? And in this situation, Nehemiah knows what he wants. He knows that he wants to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. He wants to rebuild the wall. And so in that moment, he could have just said, King, I will go do this. I need this. Let's go. And the king probably would have said yes. But notice what he does. This Nehemiah's reaction to the situation. He was given an opportunity to do something, and he had a desire to do that thing, and he chose to pray about it before acting. See, Nehemiah knew what he wanted. He wanted to go help rebuild the city, 
but he seeks God's will through prayer before acting on this opportunity. Even though he really, really wanted that, he stops, like in the middle of the conversation, just to figure out if his desires are being lined up with God's or not. See, what we want for ourselves and God wants for us are not always the same thing. Nehemiah understands that, and he reacts with a desire to do the right thing in God's eyes. Or in other words, Nehemiah seeks God's will through prayer. Now, when we're thinking and talking a little bit about seeking God's will and talking about God's will as a whole, is a very broad subject. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of debate in that area. It talks about it a lot. And so here's a kind of an easy way to break it down a little bit. There are two aspects of God's will that we can think about. There's the up and down, there's the left and right of God's will. So whenever we read about God's will scripture, we can think about it in one of these two ways. First, there's God's desire for us to follow him, right? It is God's will that you are sanctified. That means God wants you to draw closer to him. God wants you to accept the Holy Spirit and be saved. That is what God desires. And in turn, it is God's will that you follow him, right? It is God's will that you make godly decisions, that your desires are looking more and more like the desires of Jesus that we see in God's word. So when we are making decisions and are seeking God's left and right will, we are making decisions kind of like this. Here's, here's a scenario. Say you have an opportunity to lie or to cheat on the test, right? There's a pretty clear right or wrong answer that scripture will give to that. So, you know, should I cheat on this test? No. Should I put myself in a situation where I'm going to be tempted by sin? No, you shouldn't do that. Should I find an area where I can be serving more? Yes, that is, those are pretty clear answers that scripture gives us. And we've got a slide here to kind of show that a little bit. Um, but then there's, yeah, here we go. Pretty clear description. You can either murder that guy or you cannot murder that guy. I've got a good feeling on this one that the right decision is not to murder that guy because that's what God says. So that's the left and right decisions. We can come up with those a lot in our lives. Then there's the up and down part of God's will. And this is where it's a little more complicated, right? This up and down aspect of God's will are things that are a little bit less clear. This falls more in line with what's going to happen in our lives uh, and why God does certain things. This is stuff like, where should I go to college? What relationships should I be pursuing right now? Where am I supposed to go to school? What job am I supposed to work? As simple as, what sport am I supposed to play? You know, things that don't really have an incredibly clear, personalized answer that we can find in scripture. These are called up and down decisions because while God knows and ultimately has a plan way up there, we don't always know what's going on down here and we can't always understand what God's plan is from down here with our depraved minds. And it's our job as followers of Jesus to honor God by praying about both these things when we are making decisions. Right? With some decisions, you can be doing the right thing no matter what you do. Right? If you're right on the left and right, you're probably following God's will. Like that's, that's a pretty good thing. Um, the situations where this came up in my life, one of the biggest decisions I ever had to make was where to go to college. So option A was to go to California Baptist University, right? Curtis went there, great school. Uh, it's a big Jesus school. I would learn a lot about God. I would meet some amazing people and I would just kind of start a new journey, a new adventure there. It was really exciting. I was really looking forward to that. Um, option B was to go to UW, which was a school that I wasn't 
really a huge fan of, but I could intern here at Alderwood. I could hang out with you guys. Uh, I could live with a bunch of guys at this big place called the Av House. And I think that this was died. So that's cool. Um, but I had a decision to make, right? These were both areas where I could be serving well, right? I could be learning about God and pursuing God at California Baptist, or I could be doing it at UW. And so I had two right decisions to make because I was in line with God's left and right will. So I just prayed about it a lot. And after seeking counsel with the people around, God opened a lot of doors uh, to go to UW. And so here we are now, and I'm really thankful it happened. So, in Nehemiah, it's the same thing, right? It's a great example of seeking God's will. He could have been serving God in Persia as a cupbearer to the king. He could have been serving well there. Or he could have been serving God over in Jerusalem. So he had two right decisions to make, and so he prays to God that God would give him guidance in this decision, right? God prays to seek, to seek God's will because God knows, pardon me, Nehemiah knows God has his best interest in mind. So when you're confused about what you do, whenever you're making a decision, pray about it. That is the best rule of thumb that anyone can ever give you, right? Defer to God in the left and right will by being in prayer and by getting into the word about it. Even if it seems like you're not really getting a reply or God isn't being clear, just know that God doesn't always operate on your timeline either. And your, uh, your perspective of a right response or a response that you may want doesn't look like the response that God knows you need. So we've been spending a lot of time talking about Nehemiah, talking about the way that he prays and seeks God's will. Let's talk a little bit about what we learned from God in this passage. And we're going to look at the very last part uh, where God grants Nehemiah a pretty immediate answer to his request of serving in Jerusalem. So let's see what happens in verses 6 through 9. Then the king with queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? When will I back? It pleased the king to send me. So I said time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me some conduct until I arrive in Judah. And, it, and may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, and I gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So the thing that I really, really, really want us to see here is this. God is generous, and he desires a relationship with us. This passage places a very special emphasis on God's generosity as the key component of this section. Right, Nehemiah gets to go to Jerusalem, not by his own works, because God supplied him and granted him that opportunity by softening hearts and inspiring Nehemiah. We have a God that provides for his people, that is on the side of those who follow him. He cares for us. He has our best interest in mind. And more than that, he wants to hear from us. Right? Jesus talks about this in his Sermon on the Mount, and again, later in his time on earth, Matthew 7 11 says this, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, look, you guys, you people, you're broken, you're sinful, but 
you still know how to give gifts. So even though you are evil compared to God's almighty goodness and love, you still know how to give good gifts. So imagine just how great and how grand God's gifts are going to be for those who are his people, right? So there's a big contrast there that Jesus is talking about. And God wants to give gifts to those who ask him. As he's to a different crowd, he says this a little bit later in his life. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So because God is a loving, a just, and a gracious and good father, he wants to give good gifts to his children. The important thing to notice about these verses is this, though, because on the surface, this just kind of makes it sound like a vending machine, right? Like you just take your prayer, you put it in, you punch out the gift that you want, and bam, perfect March Madness bracket. Thanks, God. That's it's not really how it works. Because I think this is proved wrong. If you take a verse like John 15, 7 on the surface and just say, well, I can pray for what I want, and God's just going to give it to me. You can pray for a new Lamborghini, and when it does show up in your driveway tomorrow, I think the instant thing there is, oh, well, God's not be real, and God must not love me. So I think when we get into that mindset, we can kind of start to see some things that maybe, maybe we're approaching these passages wrong. So let's think about this. When we look at this verse, we need to think about what it looks like to remain in Jesus and have his word remain in us, right? First, remaining in Jesus means that we're living our lives to give glory to him, so that our desires are looking more and more the desires of Jesus. And therefore, when we pray, we're going to be praying for things that are more scripturally informed, right? So a Lamborghini or a perfect March Mass bracket is probably not going to increase or improve our relationship with God. And so God knows that even though that's what we want, it's not necessarily what we need. Additionally, uh, we can kind of get into the mindset that being a Christian means you will be healthy, wealthy, you'll have success in your life, things are going to go great for you because we have a God who wants to give good gifts. And while God does want to give good gifts, while God does desire uh, you to follow him, he also promises that we're not going to have great lives, right? Look at Paul, look at the disciples, look at the people who Jesus was most close with. The disciples were killed for their faith, and Paul was imprisoned for many, many years. In fact, the entire New Testament promises that we are going to have hard lives. Jesus says, take up your cross if you want to follow me. And so while we do pray, while we do receive good gifts from the Father, that doesn't necessarily mean to live perfect, amazing lives here on earth. So once again, we're getting back to what it looks like to remain in Jesus. So Nehemiah is a great example of this. He had a firm foundation in his faith. He was pursuing God. He wanted to know what God's will was. He wanted his life to look more like God's desires. And so he's constantly seeking God's will for his own life. And God provided ways for Nehemiah to serve him. And I want to say this as we close. If we want to model what it looks like to have a firm foundation in our faith, we can be people who are constant in prayer. So here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean when I say constant in prayer. If we're viewing our relationship with God like an actual relationship, do you think a relationship where you're only talking to somebody for like three or four minutes as you fall asleep, you think that's going to be a good relationship if that's your everyday experience with somebody? Probably not. It's probably not going to be great. But that's the way that we view prayer a lot of the time in our lives. It's, it's the same way that I view prayer. A lot of the time in my life, I'm very guilty of it. I'll just like nod off when I'm talking to Jesus as I pray. And that's not where we're called to be. 
right? If we want a relationship with God that is being deepened, that, that we're growing, we need to be constant in prayer and spending time with God, being in his word and with praying. Additionally, there's no such thing as a bad prayer. A lot of time I think we can, we can make it seem very spiritual. This is something that we have to use big words for. We need to elaborate and make ourselves look good. And a lot of the time, that is kind of coming from a place of pride, if we really think about it. A lot of the time, I think that we can kind of do that to just make us ourselves look good in front of the people around us instead of really being honest and vulnerable with the Father, right? God looks at our prayers in the same way that a father looks at a picture that a six-year-old just drew, right? No matter how good it is, no matter what colors or what he drew, the father is still going to put that picture on his fridge no matter what because the father loves the son and loves what he's doing. So as we close, I really want us to be more considerate of the ways that we view prayer and the ways that we view our relationship with God and our decisions. So I'm going to invite the worship band back up here on a chorus. We've got some questions that I want on your mind for the rest of the night, and I'm really excited for our discussion. So let's our heads, everybody. God, thank you for Lord, I pray that we would be serious about our relationship with you. God, that we would be looking for ways to deepen our desires for, for you, that we would be getting into the word more, not just getting into the word, Lord, but allowing it to change our lives. God, that we would be seeking the truth uh, and seeking your will for our lives through prayer. God, no matter how it feels, God, no matter if it doesn't feel like we're getting a response as soon as we want, or maybe the response doesn't look like what we want, God, pray, pray that we would just be solid, that we would have a firm foundation in you. God, and thank you so much for bringing us here, that we can learn more together, that we can grow in community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.